Welcome to the 21st episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition, our topics are a recap of Patrick's weekend predictions, reviewing the NCAA tournament bubble after a full weekend of games, and the NBA Week in Review. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com, and we'll start with college basketball. Number 18, Texas Tech beat number 14, Texas, 68-59. Patrick incorrectly picked Texas in this game. Number 5, Illinois won at number 23, Wisconsin, 74-69. Patrick correctly picked Illinois. Number 17, Kansas handed Baylor their first loss of the year, 71-58, and Patrick correctly picked Kansas. And number 9, Iowa upset number 4, Ohio State and Columbus, 73-57, with Patrick correctly picking Iowa. So Patrick went 3-1 and one in his NCAA basketball predictions for the week. Let's turn to the NBA, where the Celtics beat the Pacers on Friday, 118-112. Patrick correctly picked the Celtics. The Heat beat the Jazz, 124-116. Patrick incorrectly had the Jazz in that contest. The Mavericks beat the Nets, 115-98. Patrick incorrectly picked the Nets. And the Bucks defeated the Clippers in a close one, 105-100. Patrick incorrectly picking the Clippers meaning he went 1-3 and three in NBA predictions, which combined with his 3-1 and one in NCAA basketball, leveled him out at 4-4 four and four overall in this weekend's predictions. That brings Patrick's total for the season to 70-35, and 35, which is a 667 winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your picks this past weekend? Well, I will say I'm very satisfied actually this week. I actually went crazy and expected to lose the majority of my games, which... Sounds kind of stupid because you think, why would I not be confident in myself? But if you look at college basketball, every team I picked was a betting underdog in Vegas. Ohio State was favored over Iowa by two. Baylor was favored over Kansas by four and a half. Wisconsin was favored by five. And Texas Tech was favored by four. Uh, that was the only one that I actually got wrong. But on the other ones, Illinois didn't have Io Donsumu. A lot of people thought that that would be enough to beat to for Wisconsin to beat them, but kind of in the same way that Michigan was able to beat Wisconsin off a of COVID pause, I think Wisconsin's just not quite good enough to beat teams when they only have one thing going against them, but play well under the circumstances that they have. I think they're just quite not quite at that level with the top tier of the Big Ten when you talk about Illinois, Michigan, Ohio State, and Iowa. And talking about those last two teams that I said, that's a big revenge game. Uh, Luca Garza was probably pretty mad after shooting 6-for-20 from the floor against Michigan on Thursday. Uh, he took it out in that game, scored 25 points, I think, and 10 rebounds, two 31st career triple-double. Jordan Bohannon set the Iowa career assist record in that game, too. That team has set a lot of records this year with those two who've seemingly been there for my entire life at this point. Um, and Kansas with the upset, I mean, look, Baylor has won one time ever away at Kansas in a basketball game. I don't know what the record is for football, probably a lot better than that. But 1-18 um, all-time, and the only time they won is when both teams were ranked in the top three of the nation last year. It's honestly crazy, but Kansas really defends that home court, and if you look at program success length you could also say well Baylor hasn't been good for forever Kansas has been that's very true too but this was definitely not something that most people expected I know there were a few people who thought they would win and I just thought Baylor looked really rough coming off that pause 
almost losing to Iowa State, so I thought they I thought they were a little too rusty to win that game. Well, uh, before you get to the NBA, I would just say you, you had some brave college picks. Um, I mean, Ohio State had lost two in a row, coming back at home to, to pick against them, uh, <laughs> pick against Baylor, who everybody thought was on a roll, um, unde- one undefeated team thought they couldn't be beaten. Again, Illinois shorthanded against a Wisconsin team that had been reeling a little bit. And then, frankly, your your Texas matchup, your Texas pick was looking good at halftime. Uh, right, it was a very brutal. close game at halftime, actually. Very, very close. And then uh, Texas came out, what, I think it was 0 for 8 to start the second half. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Texas Tech was up 8 and then played the rest of the game pretty even. But, you know, when you play the rest of the game pretty even after jumping out to an 8-point lead, that means you win by 8. So. And the Illinois-Wisconsin game wasn't close until... Uh... It wasn't close until Demetri Troy scored 19 minutes in two... In, sorry, 19 points in two minutes, which is ridiculous. Yeah, but I also would like to say I did I did highlight on my website, on my predictions, that I thought the big difference in the Wisconsin game would be Wisconsin's inability to rebound, citing the fact that uh, starting center Nate Reavers and backup center Micah Potter had zero combined rebounds against Michigan. They actually did combine for 10 rebounds, but unfortunately... Kofi Coburn shot 7 for 13, and if you looked at that game, you might have seen a few times Nate Reavers actually looked over to his bench and asked his coaching staff, what am I supposed to do about that when trying to guard Kofi? It's not a fair matchup for them. It's not a fair matchup. And let's talk about not fair. You make some of these picks, uh, like you said, you make these picks on Thursday. Um, Sometimes late news happens before a game that you're not aware of and you're stuck with your pick because it's been put on your website. I think that happened to you in the NBA. Let's talk about your NBA picks. Yeah, jumping straight to that one, skipping over chronologically a little bit. I didn't realize Kyrie Irving was not going to play in the game. He looked fine on on their game before, but you know, it's the NBA. It's the regular season. The Nets are the Nets are a half game back of the one seed. They don't really care. They don't need the one seed to walk through the East, frankly. So, I mean, of course he's going to rest if he has some shoulder tightness. That's fine, but you know, unfortunate that I didn't know that when I picked the game. And I don't know whether that was a thing that that I could have noticed or whether it was just kind of random. I never heard anything about it until the day of the game. But credit to the Mavericks for still being able to beat the Nets. I did actually mention, though, that the Nets had won some games shorthanded even without Kyrie and Kevin Durant. I knew they were going to be without Kevin Durant, but I did mention that they had won a few games without Kyrie, albeit against a little bit worse competition. Uh, Going back a little bit, the Celtics beat the Pacers. That was a very close game, very good game. You actually remember probably... Watching this with me where the Celtics were up 10 with two minutes left, and I said they won the game, yeah. and then the Pacers went on a 7-0 run, and I almost went 0-4 in the NBA this week. Uh, the Heat beating the Jazz, look, I'm not going to pick against the Jazz. I, I refuse to do it. I'm going to keep picking them until they win a game. I mean, <laughs> they've won they've won 22 of 25, and I have somehow picked the two game, two of the three losses, so I don't maybe know what to Jazz, do about them maybe anymore. the Jazz will pay you to stop picking them. Maybe, maybe. I de- I'll, I'll stop doing it in the playoffs if they want me to. Um, and then the Clippers were up four with less than three minutes left and did not score a single point in the last in the last 401 of the game. So that's a big choke. Yeah, you could a lot of those games in the NBA could have gone either way. I just I mean, just your, your college basketball picks were were brave and, and stunning. Uh, so you're, I think you're to be congratulated. Um, any other thoughts on your picks before we move to our next segment? Again, expected a losing record, expected to be even or 3-1 and one in the NBA and probably 1-3 and three in college, so I'll take it. Okay, well then let's move to our next segment. And with the regular season of college basketball winding down, the NCAA brackets being announced in two weeks, 
we thought it would be good to continue to focus on those teams that are fighting for a postseason berth in the NCAA tournament. So let's continue, Patrick, with what we started in our last podcast with a look at your current view of the NCAA tournament bubble. Uh, in my last four buys, I have VCU, UConn, Boise State, and Drake. In my last four in, I have Xavier, Seton Hall, Colorado State, and Georgia Tech. In my first four out, I have Michigan State, Indiana, Duke, Utah State. And in my next four out, I have St. Louis, SMU, Richmond, and Minnesota. All right, well, we've got some uh, key games coming up this week that will impact the bubble. But before we get to that, do you want to talk about any of the results from this past weekend that, that had a big impact on the on your bubble teams? Uh, yeah, that Michigan State loss to Maryland was a very, very costly loss for Michigan State. I think that was a game where if they had won... I think you could make the case that they could lose both games against Michigan, and as long as they had beaten Indiana and not slipped up really early in the Big Ten tournament, they would have been in, or at least, well, they would have been. They would have needed some help, and they would have been uh, very stressed on Selection Sunday, but I think still that would have been enough. So uh, now I would say Michigan State, the winner of the Michigan State-Indiana matchup gets a huge boost towards making the tournament and if Michigan State wins against Indiana and they get one out of two against Michigan, they're in easily. If Indiana beats Michigan State and Purdue, they also should be in, barring again, an upset very early in the Big Ten tournament. Although, actually, every team one seeded 1 through 10 in the Big Ten is at least in the first four out or better. Most of nine of them being in the, or eight of them being in the tournament. So. You can't really get a bad loss if you're playing in the if you're at least seeded tenth, which Indiana would be at this point. That would be I think they would be playing Rutgers at the moment, maybe Purdue or Wisconsin. Uh, so not a bad loss, which is why I would say that the winner of that game is pretty much set for the tournament. Yeah, well, uh, the other the other game team you had there, uh, Minnesota, uh, in your next four out, they had a brutal loss. Yeah, uh, Nebraska, Nebraska is Nebraska. You know, I did just say that you you can't get a bad loss in the Big Ten if you're going one through ten, but when you go down to number fourteen and you lose to Nebraska, after yeah, losing that's a bad loss. Yeah, that team has fallen off a cliff. So Minnesota, Minnesota having some bad losses there. Uh, Duke actually very importantly against Louisville that game going to overtime. The fact that that game went to overtime might actually be very important for Duke. I mean, the they they lost the game, but if you look at it, it's more of one. Of, it's one of those losses that if you're comparing thirteen and nine at the end of the season to like an Indiana at maybe fourteen and twelve, something like that, you might say, well, if you look at the overtime loss, they're really more like an eight loss team. How can we justify putting in twelve losses over eight losses? It is very very important in the long run. So, and then you have Xavier as your last four in, and they upset Creighton, right, this past weekend? So, so Xavier, what do they got to do to get your uh, to the, your last four buys? So, Xavier upset Creighton, but uh, some of their other wins and some of their other losses elsewhere in their schedule have kind of shifted around, and also just a reevaluation of the bubble entirely. I would say that these 16 teams barely have any separation between them. I think VCU and Minnesota have have a few wins and losses in between them. But when you go probably, if you go in from, if you go from Drake to Utah State, I think basically a win. If one team wins, they could jump to the top of that group, depending on who that win is over. Uh, Xavier did enough to keep themselves in, but 
Seton Hall keeps winning, Colorado State keeps winning, Georgia Tech also got a win over a tournament team or a bubble team, that being Syracuse. Very good win there, decent win. Uh, Boise State was still above them, UConn also, same kind of a deal. VCU only dropped out of the uh, out of the auto-bid category, and that actually pushed St. Bonaventure completely off the bubble, because you can't be on the bubble if you're an automatic qualifier, yeah. and that's actually how Xavier ended up moving back a little bit because of that uh, St. Bonaventure result. And then some of the teams even above them, like Indiana last week, or maybe they weren't above them, but in the same category, lost a game. And that's, you know, Indiana probably, you're, everybody's probably thinking, how do, they lo- how do they move down so far for losing to Michigan? That, shouldn't, that, should be an ex- that should be an excuse thing. It's really more about the fact that their record is now 12 and 12, and 500 just does not look good enough to make a tournament. Uh, I think that actually would be the worst record of all time to make an NCAA tournament as an at-large bid. So I think it's just too much to overcome there. But All right, well, you mentioned Indiana. You also mentioned their big matchup against Michigan State as a, a really a key game coming up this week with implications for the bubble. Let's let's take a look at some other games that start on Monday, uh, games impacting these bubble teams. UMass at St. Louis, who is in your next four out. St. Joseph's at Richmond, also in your next four out. And Air Force at Colorado State in your last four in. Any thoughts on any of those games? Uh, they're pl- the three teams that you mentioned that are in the bubble, they are playing bad enough teams that a win maybe moves them a spot up or so, but probably doesn't. But a loss would move them almost off the bubble, I would say, in everybody's case, except for Colorado State. Um, but St. Joseph's is a very bad team in the A-10 right now, having a very uh, very, very off season actually. Uh, maybe that's why they shouldn't have fired Phil Martelli and let him go to Michigan as an associate head coach, but that's a different conversation. Um, and UMass is a decent team, but they haven't really beaten any of the good teams in the A-10, so St. Louis losing to them wouldn't be... It wouldn't be the end of the story for St. Louis, but they would it would give them a significant amount of work left to do to make it at that point. All right, and turning to Tuesday's action, we talked about that big battle of the first four out teams in the Big Ten with Indiana and Michigan State, so we won't spend more time on that one. Uh, Duke, who's in your first four out, is at Georgia Tech uh, in your last four in, so there's a, another big matchup on the bubble. Xavier, last four in at Georgetown, and then another battle of bubble teams. Um, sorry, just one, bu- one bubble team. Fresno State at Boise State on Tuesday night. Duke-Georgia Tech is a huge matchup. I would say that the winner of that game would be in a very, very good position. Uh, Duke plays Georgia Tech and North Carolina to close out the season before playing in the tournament, where if all things would stay the same, they would get a bye, and then they would play Syracuse on the second day of the tournament, and then they would play the one seed, which looks like right now is Florida State in the quarterfinals. So they're not really safe at all. I mean, they could easily lose all all three of those games, and I say three because you don't get to Florida State without beating Syracuse. But if they had, if they do lose those three games, they they have no chance of making the tournament. I would say if they are able to win two games in the rest of the season, uh, maybe maybe that might be enough. But it would have to be Michigan State losing out and Indiana probably losing one or two more games also. Uh, we talked about that Indiana-Michigan State game, but I think the winner of that might be in, too, just maybe moving over Colorado State, getting another quality win. And, you know, if you're Colorado State, it's really hard because you can't really do much. You beating Air Force does not match up to Indiana beating Michigan State or 
flip side of that, Michigan State being Indiana. Yeah, so, so I figure one of those teams is going to move to the last four in. So one of those teams will move to the last four in along with the winner of Duke-Georgia Tech, whether Georgia Tech remains as the last team in yeah. or whether Duke moves into it. Uh, Xavier and Georgetown is a very interesting game because Georgetown is not as a great, have had a great season, but Xavier ju- or Butler just beat Villanova today and Butler is nine and 13 on the season and Villanova's in the top 10. So the big East, if you, if that, that would be such an awful loss for Xavier and that would be one that you cannot afford to have. All right. Uh, the, the other double bubble matchup on our list of games that I was thinking of was UConn at Seton Hall, which is on Wednesday night. That is going to be a huge matchup. I would say that the winner is almost, almost guaranteed a tournament bid, probably an, an eighty, like an eighty-ish percent chance. At that point, uh, that'd be a quad one win, I think, for UConn. Maybe not for Seton Hall, be because of the fact that if you don't know how quad one wins are broken down, it's a top thirty, top a win against a top thirty team at home a win against a top 70 te- 75 team on the road. So Seton Hall definitely within that top 75. So UConn would get a quad one win, but Seton Hall probably wouldn't. I don't think UConn is in the top 30. However, it's still a quality win, and the committee doesn't doesn't need the numbers to know what it means to beat each team. So that is a very, very important game. I would say UConn moves easily into the tournament, maybe even out of the last four buys with a win over Seton Hall. And then also you got some conference tournament action. Uh, Drake, I think, is in as long as they avoid an early an early round loss. Though if you look at the way that the Missouri Valley Conference tournament is structured, they actually can't lose in the early rounds because they have a double bye. <laughs> so as long as they don't lose in their first game, which I think is against the, the winner of a 7-10 seed matchup, I think they're in the tournament. As long as they keep that loss to maybe the top four, or maybe even the Loyola Chicago in the finals, I think that would easily be enough. And VCU is also probably the safest team other than Drake. Um, reason why I say Drake is safe is because I don't think they will lose. Reason why VCU is safe is they don't play another regular season game. So they lose one game in the conference tournament. If it's to St. Louis or if it's to Richmond, I don't think it affects them that much. I don't think that'd be able to knock them out of the tournament unless unless Indiana, Michigan State, and Duke start beating the top teams in their conference in the tournament and you get an Indiana-Michigan State Big Ten Tournament Final and a Duke-Georgia Tech ACC Tournament Final. But again, I don't think that's going to happen. All right, let's move to our last game of the week involving bubble implications. Wyoming at Utah State, who you have Utah State again in your first four outer, as this year it's known as the COVID standby list. (laughs) Yeah, that's another game, like I said, with Colorado State at Air Force and Richmond St. Joe's. You can't really move up by winning this game. Uh, the only way you move up is if one of the teams ahead of you loses, i.e. maybe Duke losing to Georgia Tech. That's probably what they that's probably what Utah State needs to be watching for, uh, hoping for. They would probably need to beat one of the teams in the tournament or on the bubble from the Mountain West to make the tournament themselves without getting the auto bid, which I think the auto bid is probably the easiest way in for them. But I think currently they would have to beat Colorado State and maybe also Boise State or or uh or I'm blanking on the team who's in the lead, San Diego State, who is actually currently ranked in the top 25 and probably going to be in the top 20 next week. If they could get that win, that'd be a signature win, maybe enough to put them in the tournament. All right, well, that wraps up this look at the bubble. We'll take a look again in our next podcast where we'll probably look back at some of these games and then the final slate of uh, regular season in most major conferences and the start of some conference tournaments with other bubble implications. We'll do that in our next podcast. But now let's move to our next segment, which is our weekly look at the NBA.
And as usual, we will start with the list of Patrick's most impressive teams of the week. Patrick, your most impressive team of the last week in the NBA. I gave it to the Milwaukee Bucks. Finally. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure everybody who listens to our podcast regularly knows how much I have. Uh, I don't know the word to use for it, but I, I wouldn't you say I've aligned them. Love. But yeah, I, yeah no but love, I haven't no been love. giving them any love. I don't think they deserve any for how they've been performing, though, due to their expectations. But now they're probably about where they need to be. Um, they have five wins in a row. They won after being down four to the Clippers in the final three minutes. I mentioned this earlier, how the Clippers blew that lead. Overall this week, they went 3-0 and to beat the Timberwolves, the Pelicans, the Clippers. Again, none of those wins are the most interesting, the best teams they're playing. But they do deserve the credit for winning those games. They had a primetime matchup. They won it. Actually, they won two of them. They beat the Pelicans by three in a very close game. The Pelicans are playing better, so they're no longer in the category of teams that I would say are just pushovers for the top teams anymore. They're a little bit of a challenge depending on what night you get them on. And the Clippers definitely every night are a challenge. So still some impressive wins for the Bucks, and they are getting their business done finally. All right, let's talk about another team that's gone from your naughty list to your nice list. Who do you have at number two? I gave it to the Miami Heat. Uh, six wins in a row, 4-0 this week. They beat the Thunder, the Raptors, the Jazz, and the Hawks, and they actually beat the Hawks without Jimmy Butler. He is injured right now. I don't know how long that injury will last, but he did play against the Jazz and helped them to that win. The win against the Raptors, also a big win, especially for seeding in the East. Both those teams kind of struggling. I think every team below the three seed in the East is at 500 or worse currently. It's really just a mess from number four to number 11, and as, as anybody's heard of, there has been a scheduled, there's been a format change where there's now a play-in for the 7 to 10 seeds to get into the last two spots of the playoffs. So that whole melee that's down there between <laughs> seeds 4 and 11, where I think there's maybe three and a half games of separation in between them, it's going to be important what games you win within that. That heat win over, over the Raptors might be something we look at at the end of the year as very important. And same as the one against the Hawks. But overall, the six-game win streak, they beat the Lakers over the streak too, albeit it was without Dennis Schroeder and Anthony Davis for the Lakers. But those are still some big wins for the Heat, and they're moving in the right direction now that they've gotten everybody back and kind of moved through that COVID pause that kind of hampered their season. All right, and your third most impressive team of the week, and this may be a surprise. I gave it to the Washington Wizards, and the reason why is because they were so far down in the standings, but they are now a few teams up. Uh, they went 3-2 and two this week. They beat the Lakers, the Nuggets, and the Timberwolves. They lost to the Clippers and the Celtics. And, you know, we always talk about how they, for some reason, can't win a game when Bradley Beal scores 40 points. Well, tonight was Exhibit A of that. They were up by 5 points within the last 45 seconds. Bradley Beal scored 46 points, including the bucket, to go up by 5. And they still managed to lose the game. They let Jason Tatum get all the last six points of the game on three different layups. Then Bradley Beal stepped out of bounds, actually, at the end of the game and then had to shoot over a double team to try to win. And somehow the excellence of Bradley Beal almost made a shot over a double team of two forwards, which is just ridiculous. But overall, I like the wins. They did, Their losses were, to clo were, were close losses to good teams. Uh, yes, they beat the Lakers without Dennis Schroeder and Anthony Davis. Sound like a broken record at this point with these last few teams. But th that is still an important win for the Wizards. They got that win in overtime, too, which was very important, very good confidence booster. Uh, Westbrook and Beal look like they're trying, starting to gel with each other, and also the win over the Nuggets was a pretty big win, even though if you follow the NBA, you know the Nuggets kind of blew the last possession of that game, but that's a different story. 
All right, well, let's go to your most disappointing teams of the week. Your most disappointing team of the week is... The Rockets. They went 0-4 this week, 10 losses in a row. Uh, Obviously, didn't beat anybody. They lost to the Bulls, the Cavaliers, the Raptors, and the Grizzlies. Yeah, the losses aren't (laughs) great. I think that's the, the team that's trying to compete for a playoff spot really can't anymore. They're down at 14th in the West. Uh, even after the Kings lost seven in a row, the Kings are still somehow ahead of them in the standings. They're really that far down at this point. They're almost to the Timberwolves level. Uh, just losing to everybody at this point. Uh, it's just, I don't really know what to say about them at, at, at this point. I mean, they made the trades. Victor Oladipo's there now. John Wall's there. But they released Boogie Cousins and Christian Wood is injured. And this team is just not moving in the right direction. Well, speaking of those Timberwolves that you said the Rockets were almost at their level, coming in at number two of the second most disappointing this team this week, I gave it away the Timberwolves. What did they do, Patrick? Well, I've I've kind of exempted them from being on this list because they're just that bad and they are in the West. And, I mean, you look at the Rockets, you see John Wall, you see Victor Oladipo, and you're like, that team could make the playoffs in the East, and it's true that they could. So... I keep giving them an excuse because they really just don't have the talent to stack up with anybody, but they still have D'Angelo Russell. They have Anthony Edwards, the number one overall pick, who's playing better, making highlights, uh, probably has the dunk of the year to this point. But they have eight losses in a row. Uh, they went 0-4 this week. They lost to the Bucks, the Bulls, the Wizards, and the Suns. Not about who they lost to this week. It's just about me saying, look, I'm not giving you an excuse anymore. You can't just be the worst team and, be, and get excused for it. Uh, although maybe the worst team in the East might might be doing that right now because they are. But <laughs> and your third most disappointing team of the week definitely doesn't have an excuse on an overall basis. Who is that? It is the Portland Trailblazers. They have four losses in a row now. Zero and three this week. Loss to the Suns, the Nuggets, and the Lakers. I didn't have a problem with any of these losses. Obviously, they're all to playoff teams. They these are all good teams. You did say they didn't have an excuse, but they do have an excuse, and that is that they are missing three starters yeah. currently. They're without, it's basically the Damian Lillard show and maybe Carmelo Anthony every once in a while. Credit to Gary Trent for stepping up uh, and still playing quality minutes, same as Rodney Hood and Fernie Simons, but that's just not enough to be beating these teams in the West, and the Lakers got Dennis Schroeder back, and that was just enough to push them over the edge of beating the Trailblazers. All right, as always, we end on a positive note. Who is your player of the week in the NBA? I gave it to Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yes, I am having a big attitude shift towards the Bucks as they have played themselves to one game out of the one seed in the East after that five-game win streak. 37 points, 10 and, 10 and a half, or 10.7 actually rebounds per game, and 5.7 assists per game this week. I was going to give it to Bradley Beal, but then I looked at it and I saw that Giannis had scored 36 points in each of his last four games, and the one game on their win streak where he didn't score 30 points, he had 19 rebounds and they blew out the thunder. So Giannis playing very, very well as of recently. Uh, He's already won the MVP, though. Let's not give it to him again. (laughs) Yeah, and he also had a spectacular play there at the end of that uh, win over the Clippers. Uh, nice little move to the nice little move to the hole after some great ball movement. So yeah, I don't I don't I, I didn't want to compliment that because I don't think it's humanly possible to step to only take two steps from the three point line and dunk, which he didn't do that on that play. He actually took four steps, but it's the NBA. There's no traveling. Exactly. All right. Well, that wraps up our look at the NBA for the week. It also wraps up this edition of the Fourth and Twenty Four podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, March fifth where we will take another deep dive into college basketball, including a look at that bubble. In the meantime, be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, 
including his NCAA tournament bracket predictions, which will be updated on Tuesday, and his picks for next weekend's games, which, as always, will be on Thursday. And that's all at our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.